Hello everyone and welcome to the Thriving Dry Eye Podcast. I am your host, Laura. I suffered a chemical eye injury resulting in dry eye and I created this platform to give hope to those with dry eye. I will talk to amazing people who will tell their dry eye stories and spotlight health professionals who will promote wellness of the mind and body. This podcast is for you to give hope to those with dry eye. As a disclaimer, this podcast contains general information about dry eye and other medical conditions and is for educational purposes and inspiration only. Thriving Dry Eye LLC is not responsible or liable for the accuracy of information contained in this podcast. The information contained in this episode is the personal views of the hosts and guests respectively. This podcast is not meant to replace the advice of your healthcare provider and is not intended to prescribe, prevent, treat, or diagnose disease. Listeners acknowledge that the information contained does not constitute professional advice from the host or guest speaker. By listening to this podcast, you assume all risks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thriving Dry Eye Podcast. I am super excited today to be talking to our next guest, Ross. Hi, Ross. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Very good. So I am really, really excited to be talking to you because I actually reached out to you on Facebook about coming on the podcast because your story resonated with me or your, your plan of treatment for the eyes. Because in my journey, there were some what people would think are kind of like unconventional ways of dealing with this. And I think a lot of people don't talk about the root, really truly the root cause of what's going on. And when you were writing about the things that made you better, there were a lot of those things, some of the things unconventionally that I did. And also, you know, talking about the root cause of of what really could be going on with a dry eye. So thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem. It's interesting you said that. I'm a fan of just throwing the kitchen sink at this condition, to be honest, like getting really aggressive right from the beginning. I don't think enough people do that, if I'm being honest, and it can really set them back. Um, mm. The more I've done, the better I've gotten, to be honest. Exactly. And even the couple people that I talk to occasionally on um, Facebook, you know, it's like they they go eye drops, eye drops, eye drops, eye drops, eye drops for so long. And then things do get worse. And like you said, sometimes you just got to like throw everything in there to really get the ball rolling. Yeah. And eye drops are great. I, I use them every day, but all they do is treat the symptom. You mm-hmm. have to treat the root cause. If you're going to make any progress, if you're going to improve, you have to heal yourself. You have to treat the root cause. Absolutely. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Ross. I'm 33 years old. Um, I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. So I'm, I'm deliberately speaking a little slower than I normally would, just because I've been told that Glaswegians speak too quickly and struggle to understand it. I hope you can understand me and I hope your audience yes. can understand me. Um, I, yeah, good, good. And uh, I'm an IT, an IT worker. So I've been working in IT for about 10 years now. So, you know, seven, eight hours a day in front of a computer, that is my life. You know, that's that's what I do for a living. So having dry eye disease uh, is not the best when it comes to that type of career. No, definitely not. When did you first start noticing your dry eye or was there something that initiated it? Without a shadow of a doubt, it was a uh, LASIK. So I had LASIK kind of mid-2018. I was short-sighted. It wasn't even that bad. That's, that's why I'm kind of kicking myself 
the, all these years later because I look back and I'm like, I, did, I didn't actually really need to have that surgery. You know, I just had to wear glasses when I was driving or at the cinema, at the mm-hmm. theatre or whatever. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but I wanted the convenience of having better eyesight. So I decided to, to undergo LASIK. And within days of having LASIK, really bad dry eye. And I hadn't really experienced dry eye before that, if I'm being honest. And something I wasn't aware of, I've since kind of learned this, but something like it's 95% of people that have LASIK have dry eye for weeks or months afterwards. It's like pretty much guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, it is meant to get better, kind of the three month mark. And it's purely down to the fact that when you get LASIK, when you, you have this sort of eye surgery, it physically destroys the nerves on your cornea like mm. quite dramatically is like reduces your your nerves by like 90 percent or something in the immediate post-operative sense and then what's meant to happen over two three four months it's meant to grow back and in my case you know three months passed and then five months passed and then six months passed and I still had really bad dry eye like putting drops in constantly I wasn't doing anything else I was very ignorant of dry eye I didn't really know what to do and like a lot of people I put my trust in the provider of LASIK you know I didn't Mm. know anyone else I'd already spent thousands of pounds with these people they were telling me this is this was normal until all of a sudden at the kind of six month mark they were like oh we can't really do anything for you anymore like we can only help you for six months. Like right. it's, it's in the contract. That's, that's it's like, oh, right, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So that that was that was the beginning of it, um, and that was that was five years ago, believe it or not. Wow. Five years. So you're in your, you know, essentially mid twenties, and everything is completely different for you. Yeah. I mean. It, it did actually get, funnily enough, um, at about the six, seven month mark, it did start to get better in the sense that I, I used less eye drops, mm-hmm. um, but it was still a constant present in my life. And I, I just, I regret, like I said at the beginning, I regret not doing something sooner, mm-hmm. you know, because it isn't normal, you know, particularly 28 years old to put four, five, six drops a day in your eye. That is not a normal thing for someone in their 20s to, to, be, to be doing. Yeah. And I, I suppose I, it just, I just became complacent. I'm like, right, this is just what I need to deal with now. And then it's kind of progressively gotten worse um, since then. Yeah. So then once they released you and said, hey, there's nothing else we can do for you, then where did you go or what did you do? I, I just sort of dealt with it uh, for like a year. So I would I would buy um, kind of thicker gel type eye drops online on like Amazon or, or something, and I would just use that. And like I said, it just sort of became part of my life, and um, it, it, it was kind of better a year later. But I was still taking lots of drops. It didn't really get really bad until COVID hit. Um, I like during COVID, I developed a, a chalazion in my top right eyelid, mm-hmm. quite quite bad. It was like very um, aggressive, really swollen, and this was during lockdown. I think you had a similar story. You you, you just couldn't get help yeah. during during lockdown. Correct. Like, I, I tried to go to a dry yeah, tried to go to the doctor, tried to go to a dry eye specialist got completely turned back because it's like, no, we can't do anything. We're in lockdown and it's only (laughs) emergency situations. Right. So then that's when I started doing my own research and I'm like, okay, this is maybe a bigger deal than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I learned about this thing called my bombing gland dysfunction. I had no idea what my bombing glands were. Like nobody had ever told me what they were. And eventually... It was getting worse and worse and worse. Eventually, um, once uh, we were out of one of the lockdowns, because we had a few in the UK, um, I was able to see a, a dry eye specialist mm-hmm. um, in, in the city that I live in. And he looked at my eyes. He says, like, you've got really badly inflamed eyelids. You have this thing called MGD. I'm going to do some tests. So one of the tests he did was a, a myography, okay. um, where they, they image your glands. That was a defining kind of moment and my dry eye journey because I hadn't really seen any physical evidence of anything wrong and uh, I've posted 
uh, my images on on the Facebook group, so you can you can see them if you want. But my top right eyelid, where the chalazium was, it was completely destroyed. Basically, like I, I have like two glands, and they're very pathetic looking. Oh um, man, not healthy at all. And uh, so I'm I'm like, is that normal? He's like, no, I wouldn't even see this in someone at seventy years old. Like I wouldn't even see that sort of disease state and someone that old and you're you're only you know at, at this point fit in my 30s so that was really difficult to hear that and also being told that it isn't curable like they're destroyed they've atrophied they've dropped out you can't cure this so that was really difficult to hear that and at that point i'm like right okay i've not really done anything here so i'm going to be really super aggressive with this so I worked with that doctor, but he could only do so much. He, he, he did IPL, but it was like an older model, an older machine. So I'm like, right, what's what's the most aggressive thing I can do here? Um, and I decided to to undergo um, my bombing gland probing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not many providers in the UK that do it. And I know I know it's considered maybe controversial as a as a, a treatment option. Some people aren't convinced about it. That includes some doctors, some ophthalmologists, but to, to me it made sense. Like once I understood what what it treated, you know, the idea that you have fibrosis, you have scar tissue within physically within the gland itself. Well, how could you how can you fix that? Well, you can go in with like a device and mechanically destroy it or mechanically take it out. And it's similar to you know any other type of surgery where you have an obstruction in the body if you have scar tissue within your ligaments or between your joints, the doctor would go in there and they would remove it. Like that's that's part mm. of how they would heal it. Um, it actually reminded me of um, when I was a teenager, I had a, a, what's called a deviated septum in my yeah. nose, which basically meant like there's a bit of cartilage in your nose. Mine was broken, so I couldn't breathe through my nostrils. Like I only ever mouth breathed as a teenager. So I went in for surgery and part of that surgery was like, getting rid of actual scar tissue that developed inside my nose and yeah. removing that obstruction. And now I can breathe through my nose. So it just made sense to me logically that this was something that could work. Right. I thought that, and because I haven't done research on it, but I thought probing was just literally putting something in there to like create a essentially an open channel. So you're saying when they go in, they're actually removing scar tissue or the obstruction itself I don't, I don't think there's it's not like it hooks in and like takes it out but it's it mechanically breaks down the scar tissue so I, 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 again i'm not an expert i'm not a doctor but imagine clearing the obstruction itself will result in it re- remove the coming out of it can only go one way which is yeah you know you've got an orifice you've only got one little hole there it's going to come out you know Surely over time, as the mybum be- begins to flow again, I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but it totally to me that made sense breaking oh. the, physically, mechanically breaking the scar tissue down. Yeah, um, that does make sense. So you're and, going in, yeah. and it may not bring it out, but as the mybumian glands start to produce the oil and push it through, things are going to start coming out. Yeah, yeah. That, that, to me, that it just logically makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of how I've read it described as well uh, by by various doctors out there. Yeah. So I, d- I did that, and it wasn't it wasn't some kind of jumping in the air. Hallelujah! This is amazing. It's worked. It it took maybe about a month, I would say, before I started to feel better. But my symptoms improved massively, like by like sixty percent or so, which wow. at the time was a big deal to me. Yeah. Um. And at that point, I I also started IPL, so kind of at the same time that I, that I did kind of both. It's just unfortunate that these are you know you'll know yourself that are expensive procedures, you know even IPL and especially probing. So I feel I feel really bad for people that just can't afford it. And I, certainly, I'm not a wealthy person, and I've struggled to kind of pay for these procedures. But I'm fortunate enough that I've just you know just about managed it um, and it's, it's helped me massively 
it is really unfortunate that all of this stuff is typically not covered by insurance. You know, the stuff that actually works. Um, and my last guest said, you know, maybe if this was called something else, not dry eye disease, because you you just think of, well, I just, just put drops in it. It'll make everything better. But if it had some kind of more scientific name that was like kind of really bad, well, maybe it would be covered because it's it's a it's not yeah. just a dry eye, you know? I've had that, that exact phrase you just said. I've had that said to me multiple times when you kind of tell people that you have this condition. They're like, oh, can you not just put some drops in? And it's like, it's really not as simple as that. Maybe for some people it is, you know, a lot of people out there have mild dry eye, but that's not who this podcast is for. It's for people that have moderate to severe dry eye that's really severely affecting their quality of life, maybe even causing suicidal thoughts or, and, and stuff like that. Like these are the people that need this this form of advanced treatment. And yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's expensive. It's not covered by insurance. It's not covered by the NHS. To be honest, most opticians, ophthalmologists that I've spoke to, they don't even know what this stuff is. Like if they don't know anything about dry eye or, or they know the basics, they don't know what IPL is. They don't know what my uh, bombing gland probing is or maybe they've sort of heard of it. It's really, really tricky and it's really unfortunate for people out there. But if you can afford it or if you can get this treatment somehow, I would really recommend it, particularly if... If you have MGD, if you've been diagnosed, that you've seen your, your images, your glands have dropped out or they've severely atrophied like mine's, you have to save those glands. Like, it's yeah. non-negotiable. Like, it's going to progress. It's going to get worse unless you put a stop to it. And I really think, you know, that that's coming up for maybe a year and a half, two years since I've, I did my first probing and my glands have only gotten better. Like, they've even... I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to say that they've, they've, they've experienced growth because that's quite a strong claim. Yeah. But to me, they're more active, you know, and it's obviously because of the treatment that I've undertaken. Like if I just left that, it would have gotten worse. How about that area where the chalazin was that you said that the meibomian glands were just completely destroyed? Uh, was there any improvement in that area too, post-probing? Uh, yes. So, so that, that, like I said, I only have like two glands left and they're, they're really kind of squiggly and horrible looking. But uh, if, if you've seen the gland images, you'll know that a sign of kind of dropout or atrophy is they're meant to be kind of bright white kind of little tubes. And if they're sort of grey colour, dark grey colour, that means they're basically dying off. So these glands have sort of reversed a little bit. They've not necessarily like physically grown, in, um, in a, but these kind of grey areas are now like bright white. Oh, so cool. to me, is that growth? I don't know. I'm not an expert, but to me, that's a sign of activity. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny because my, my right, my, my left eye, which is, uh, uh, which according to myography is the best eye, that symptomatically that's my worst eye so that that's the strange thing about dry eye disease as well like something oftentimes this the physical signs don't match the symptoms Correct. and that's that's a really tricky yeah it's really it's really tricky um, especially if, if you speak to an optician or an ophthalmologist and they don't really understand that and you can it can make you feel like you're a crazy person or you're exaggerating it or something like that and I'm sitting here just like, why would I exaggerate this? You know, I was I was completely healthy. Yeah. Um prior to this. Never had any chronic kind of medical conditions. I'm not gonna make this up. This is mm -hmm. it's a real thing that's happening to me. Um and I think, you know, I, I listened to, to part one of your story and hearing um you your experience with the, the first doctor mm -hmm. who seemed to kinda of like eventually sort of get bored of you a little bit or just, you know, didn't really want to help you out anymore. Like every single person I've spoke to with um, more serious symptoms, they have the exact same story. Going to an optician or ophthalmologist and just felt completely dismissed. Yeah. They're not listening to you. They're downplaying it. And it, it just makes you feel this small because, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Like obviously you, you defer to people that should know what they're talking about. Um. And so when that person's downplaying your symptoms or dismissing them, 
you just feel like there's nowhere to go. Um, so if, if anyone takes one thing from the, our podcast today, uh, I want to let them know that, that unfortunately that is normal. It's normal to, particularly if you if you speak to an optician or ophthalmologist that doesn't specialise in dry eye, like they don't really know, understand the disease, you have to let them go. You have to move on and find a doctor that understands the condition and is empathetic and understands individualistically what you're going through, yeah. your history, the background context. You have to find someone that, that gets it and it makes a world of difference that. Um, yeah, I've, and I've really struggled with some of the doctors that I've seen. I really feel like that, you know, when I was at my worst, I mean, I I don't know what made me do it, but when I posted my story, it was just like out of desperation, just complete like I remember laying in bed when I did it and I had not slept hardly at all that night and I was like I I need someone who knows what's going on to help me. And that was so pivotal in in turning things around because I was so shocked at like the support from the people that said, you know, you have to find a dry eye specialist. You need to like, just like the support from, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I can totally understand what you're feeling. You know, your family can be so supportive and try to say the right thing, but they, they just don't know. So if you're not getting you know, support from your doctor. Like you said, you've got to find the right one. But in the meantime, maybe try to find your tribe that's going to help push you through the muck that you're in because it is horrible. And you do have really bad thoughts that go through your mind. And and I've heard that from multiple people that I've reached out to. And it's so sad that when people aren't listening, how how quickly you can go down this hole of like just desperation. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that people don't understand unless they've, they've been in your shoes is when it's bad, it's all you think about. Literally the entire day, you sit and think about your eyes. You can't get anything done. You can't clean. You can't go to the gym. Or I used to be really fit and healthy. I've put on a little bit of weight. I'm not as as uh, athletic as I used to be. All that is because of this condition. It's affected my mental health. And you're right. You know, I, I have I have a very supportive kind of family and friends and, and stuff like that. I've I've explained to them what this condition is. They get it. They're empathetic, but they don't they don't truly understand it because they've not went through it themselves. Like you know, I'm sure you you can. Um, like if you think back to prior to your the incident that you had and, and prior to my surgery, I never once thought about my eyes at all mm-hmm. in terms of like dryness. It wasn't even a concept in my head, like never. And then there was a period in my life not that long ago where every minute of every day is just thinking about this condition. Absolutely. And that's yeah it's eventually going to get to you even if you're a very strong-willed person happy you know it, it you're not superhuman you're not a robot it's going to eventually affect affect your mental health especially and finding like you said other people that have gone through something similar is really cathartic and makes you feel held as well and similar to your situation you know i was what, let's see, do, 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 three years ago. So I was 33 when this happened to me. And my thought was, I'm only 33. I, you know, I want to live till my 80s, my 90s. Like, how am I going to afford, like, I mean, good quality fish oil, even that itself is not cheap. So like, I'm thinking about all these months and months and years and years. And, you know, I remember once even calculating, like, it was, you know, I don't know, $70 a month times 12 times 50, you know, like just looking at that number of like, this is not something that I had to pay for before and thinking that these thousands and thousands of dollars over a period, you know, over my lifetime, how insane. So, you know, when it's coming and when it happens and you're young, I do think it's, 
I mean, not discounting anyone who's older because, you know, it seems like this is happening for, you know, people in their 40s and 50s. So they still have quite a bit of life ahead of them too. But when you feel like you're young and you're like in the best part of your life and something like this happens, it's just like, what is it going to be later on? Like it, it, how much worse can it be? That's why I'm saying you, particularly if you're young, you have to be really aggressive in how you treat this and like try and find the the money if you can, but you're, you're totally right. Like, semi-frequently I I try not to think about this but semi-frequently I do think to myself what would I have spent all this money on if I hadn't spent it on the IPL the probing all the drops just you're right it's a real drain on finances it's it's not an inexpensive disease dry eye disease and I don't know I don't I don't really don't really have advice other than you have to see it as an investment in yourself and like you know, if you do it now, then in 10 years, 20 years time, you would be in a better place if you hadn't done it. That's the mm-hmm. only way I can sort of justify it in my head. Yeah. Um, but you are right. Like I, I have often thought to myself, if this happened when I was, you know, 60, 70, 80, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, which is maybe a silly thing to say, but, it's, but it's, it goes back to what you said. Like this is meant to be like a prime time during <laughs> our lives, you know, in our kind of 20s and 30s. You shouldn't we shouldn't have to be worrying about something like this um, and it's really made me yeah it's really made me empathetic towards other people that have chronic illnesses like you know i was i obviously had sympathy beforehand but now that i'm in you know a, a situation that's similar or the same i really get it and it's it's yeah it's a tricky tricky Absolutely. experience to have yeah so I want you to talk a little about um, hormones, if you can, because that was one of the root cause things that if you don't have a an injury or an incident that like causes your dry eye, there's a lot of people that like over time, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. And um, you made a really good point about looking at your hormones because that can impact dry eye yeah I, I, I need to preface, preface it by saying I'm, I'm not a doctor certainly not an expert um i probably say a lot of stuff that's not quite correct but this is based on my experience my research um but the, the reason why uh, women and especially older women are affected a lot by dry eye, eye is typically down to uh, hormone changes during like that like during and after like the menopause and stuff like that. In my case, um, prior to my LASIK, I got died by about five, six months, I got diagnosed with low testosterone. Mm. So I, I, at 28 years old, I had the same uh, level of testosterone as an 80 year old man. Um, so I had, I won't go into too much detail about the, this, the symptoms, but I had lots of kind of symptoms and it wasn't a good period for me during my life. So I sought out a diagnosis, I got it, um, and I started paying for treatment privately because it's pretty much impossible to get testosterone treatment on the NHS. Like you basically have to produce no testosterone before the NHS will will oh, give you man. testosterone. Whereas, yeah, there's it's just unfortunately the nature of of things in uh, in the UK when it comes to hormone treatment stuff like that. I think we're quite backwards with it, particularly for young men. I got put on hormone uh, or testosterone replacement therapy and I've, I'm still on it today and I've been on it for the last five years. And one of the things eventually I discovered is hormones play a really important role in terms of like tear production and in particular, um, mybin production. So mm-hmm. the, you know, your activity of your myboming glands, they have testosterone receptors and stuff in the glands and there's hormonal receptors. And so if your hormones are out of whack, particularly the ratio of testosterone to estrogen, if that's not quite right, because both men and women produce testosterone and estrogen, just obviously at different different levels. But in particular, if, the, if there's an imbalance in the ratio, um, you can get dry eye symptoms. And eventually I discovered, you know, like I said, I've been on testosterone for a few years now. And 
in the body, testosterone actually turns into estrogen. So you don't produce estrogen directly. It, it, it testosterone uh, turns into estrogen. It's part of mm. a kind of um, chemical process in, in your body. And a side effect of, of taking synthetic kind of testosterone, like, uh, like myself, is you can often convert that into high amounts of estrogen. So at one point I was at the, the kind of max upper level of estrogen in a man, like I had very high estrogen and I'm like, right, okay, this, and it, it actually coincided with when my symptoms were getting worse. Mm. And the reason I know that is because as part of my testosterone replacement therapy, I have to get blood tests every, every few months, every, you know, three, four months I need to take blood tests. And so that tracked my estrogen over time. Oh, and cool. Over time, it was going up and up and up and up. Yeah. And by the time, you know, at the height of my, my symptoms being at the worst, my estrogen was also at the highest level. And I'm like, ah, this has maybe got something to do with it. So I've worked with my, my doctor, um, my private health doctor, to reduce my estrogen. Now it's totally normal and my symptoms have improved massively. So I, th I think that's a big factor in my dry eye. I think the, the imbalance, particularly in estrogen, was causing a lot of inflammation and probably reducing like my bin production and my, my bombing glands. Again, yeah. I'm not a doctor, but just based <laughs> on my own research. Um, so, yeah, so I would, if you don't, if you don't understand what the root cause of your dry eye is, and often it is multifactorial, it's, it's not just one thing, particularly when you have advanced dry eye, maybe mild dry eye, it's maybe just one thing. It's, but when you've got kind of severe dry eye, typically it's two, three things and uh, they all contribute, they, they get worse. Sometimes one root cause causes another, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I'd really recommend trying everything. If you don't, if you don't know what it is, go get a hormone test, you know, research it, ask, is this normal? For someone my age, my you know gender, is it normal that these levels of hormone? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that especially here in the United States, when there's a problem that you have, a symptom, I mean, there's it's just here's a medication, here's something, take this and see if that gets better, and you really have to advocate for yourself for some of these other tests. You know, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure that it's like a normal thing to just be testing hormone levels. So it may be beneficial that you go in with actual, a research study that says this, that, hey, th I've been looking at this. This is my problem. You know, I remember I did have my thyroid levels checked when I was going through that. And, and in my, optometrist had mentioned to get the thyroid levels checked. So my functional medicine doctor um, ordered them and she was a little concerned about one of the levels. I can't remember what it was, but I had showed them to my optometrist too. And I could tell she had no idea what she was looking at. You know, like she knew that that might be something, yeah, a yeah. factor in there, but she looked at it. Everything was in those, like the normal range and she was like, oh, those look great, you know? Um, so even the discrepancy between her and my functional medicine doctor of her being like, I'm a little concerned about one of those levels, but let's do some things like changing your diet. Let's see if that makes a difference. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was kind of it was really interesting because she had mentioned it, so I had gotten it ordered. And then yeah, when I came back to the optometrist, she I could totally tell she had no idea what she was looking at. And it was just, it was just yeah, really interesting. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the, the normal range. So when I was getting diagnosed with low testosterone, the, the range that the, the NHS uses, the, lev, the, the min level, sorry, is what an 80-year-old man would have. Now, that's fine if you're an 80-year-old man. Yeah. But if you're 28... <laughs> And you have the and you have the same levels as an eighty year old man. That is not normal. That's no. not normal. But if you're just looking at if you're just looking at that range on a chart, on a graph, the doctor just goes, if they don't know what they're talking about, they'll just go, Oh, it's in range. And it's like yeah. yeah, but it's not in range for my age 
or the yeah. stage in life that I'm at or something like that. So that's why you really need to speak to a specialist. You know, I, I only got diagnosed properly when I spoke to a, a, a testosterone doctor, like an, an expert who deals with this. And he's like, yeah, your levels are extremely low. Like we, we, need, we need to get you on testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not normal at your age. And, and particularly with my symptoms as well, it's not normal to have that level of testosterone. Whereas just talking to my general practitioner, like you said, they're just like, oh, it's within range. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I know like uh, they, a lot of times, I and this has been, gosh, I don't know how long, but I, I feel like there's this don't Google things. We get this, don't Google your symptoms. Yeah. Don't Google um, don't, don't look up things cause it, it'll just make it worse for you or, or you'll, I, I don't know what the thing is, but like, don't listen to that. Like you are going to have to take control yeah, like, of yourself and your body and you will need to educate yourself. You have to, because otherwise you're going to get in this, this rut of whatever they can put you through and most likely you're not gonna you're not gonna get what you need yeah you mentioned it earlier you really have to advocate for yourself at the same time you have to be careful with it like i wouldn't recommend going into an ophthalmologist with like a book or pages and pages and pages of you know studies or, or whatever just come in with distilled information, make it clear that you know what you're talking about, like you've researched it. Um, that's all I can do is recommend that. But you're right, a lot of doctors will say that, like you're being a hypochondriac, you're thinking about it too much. I, I will say, like, I think there is a little bit of truth to that in my case. And the reason I say that is, like, I absolutely have this condition. There's no doubt about that. However, I have noticed if I'm, like, in the, my house on my own, and I've not really got anything on, it's just a kind of lazy day, I notice the dry eye more. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm out and about, I've got a project going on, I'm doing something and I'm engrossed in something or I'm socialising, it's still there and I still have to take my drops and I still have to, I'm still aware of it, but not nearly as much. So you could argue that that is a little bit in your head, I suppose. But at the end of the day, if you, if you have a broken arm, you know... Just because it's maybe less painful when you're sleeping or something like that, you're unconscious, doesn't mean it's not broken. It's still broken. You know, you still have, to, it's still a real thing. Um, but advocating for yourself. And if the doctor doesn't listen to you, and particularly if they say nonsensical things or it's not logical, the response just doesn't make sense or it's not convincing, or they, uh, Oftentimes I've heard an ophthalmologist or optician, they, they want to move on very quickly. So I remember speaking to an optician about my bowing gland probing and I was asking their opinion about it. I was like, what do you think about it? And they, they just wanted to move on. They didn't even want to speak to me about it. And I was like, right, you don't know. All they said was, oh, it's I don't agree with it. I don't think it's a good solution. I think it could cause more harm than than uh, good. And I'm like, oh, why, why is that? And that's you know, if you know what you're talking about, you should be able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted to move on. And it's like, ah, you, you've you just read that somewhere or someone's told you that opinion. You don't actually have an original thought on it. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is just dismiss people like that. Yeah. Like if, if they had replied to me and going, well, well, I'd read, I've read this study or I've been to a conference or I spoke to colleagues and they told me that this, you know, it did this, it caused these problems. I would listen to them and I'd go, ah, right, okay, I'll need to look into that. Like, it sounds like you you know what you're talking about in this area. But if they're very dismissive, they don't really know, what, like like you said, the, the optician that didn't understand the, the thyroid results, there's no point in talking to her about your thyroid results because she doesn't right. know what to do with them. Yeah. So you need, you need to go speak to an expert. Yeah. 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 Something that has been interesting for me recently is really this idea of trusting your intuition or your gut or whatever. You know, when you go into a doctor's office and you're meeting with somebody, like if you if you're hearing or feeling uncomfortable or something's not right, you probably should listen to it and make those changes. Don't be afraid to 
to seek somebody out, you know, you're, you're hiring these people to help you. And if they're not helping you or it doesn't feel right or you're questioning things, it's okay to fire them. Go find somebody else. You know, there's a lot of providers out there. Yeah, I could not agree with that more. Like, you know, main advice, find find a dry eye expert, but find someone who understands your particular case. Because there's, there's dry eye experts out there that just do IPL. And that's all they do. They don't really know anything else. They don't know much about allergies. They don't know anything about gland probing. You know, you're allowed to mix and match. So I, I do that myself. I, I go to a, a dry eye clinic that just basically do IPL and I go to them because they're very good at IPL, mm-hmm. but I don't speak to them about really anything else. Yeah. Um, and I go elsewhere for probing or go elsewhere for for allergy expertise or something like that. So yeah, yeah you're totally right. And you just have to, it's tricky because a lot of people are not comfortable standing up against the doctor or having confrontation or even, even just like firing them, like you said, if they're giving bad advice. I, I, you just have to do it. Like you're, you're not going to get better unless you advocate for yourself and fix, fix the issues that you have. Like nobody's going to care more about your health than you. Mm-hmm. You know that even taking into account family and friends, they don't, they don't understand what it's like. It's you that feels the pain, it's you that feels the dryness, it's you that wakes up at night and your yeah. eyelids are stuck to your eyeball. That they're that dry. It's, you have to fix that yourself. Absolutely. You have to take action to do that. Mm-hmm. So I want to move on to something that I've been a little fearful to talk about, but one of the reasons that I reached out to you because I literally have told nobody that I have done this. And I was talking to my husband last night about speaking with you. And I said, um, I'm really excited to talk to him, but I've not told you that I did this to help my eyes. And so I want to talk about the finger prick autologous blood. I heard this or I saw this on one of the Facebook groups and I tried to deep dive into some research here. And the only thing that I could find through our search over here in the United States is this little, um, I think it was like a graduate student um write up about finger prick autologous blood as a possible way to treat dry eye disease. And, you know, I reached out to you and said, do you have, have you seen a study on this? Because I think it is really important to have some kind of research to back up what you're doing. But I think for some people it would be kind of, kind of freaky, uh, but can be really helpful. Yeah, it, it it literally saved me. So at my worst moment, I was off work. I was lying in bed with my eyes shut. I I wasn't showering. Like this was this was at my lowest moment in in my life. And at that that point, I was actually suicidal. That's how bad the pain was because I had really bad kind of burning in my eye as well. And I'm like. Eventually, I was like, right, stuff this. I need, to, I need to do something right now to try and help this. I need to f- figure something out. And like yourself, I, I just delved into kind of, you know, internet searches. Eventually, I found, I can't remember where it was. I think it was like a dry eye forum. So not like a Facebook page, but one of the, one of the forums out there. And somebody had linked to um, the study and also a video on YouTube. So there's a video on YouTube of an ophthalmologist. I think it's Moorsfield. Hospital. Yeah, so I was I was lying on my bed in agony from my eyes, but just burning. And I, I found a study that says, look, you know, there's there's this stuff out there called autologous serum or blood serum. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, how do you make that? And it involves taking blood from your arm and putting it in a test tube and spinning it in a centrifuge and all this crazy stuff. And someone was saying, well, what you can also do is just put blood, whole blood, into your eye because fundamentally blood contains like anti-inflammatory properties um, growth factors just lots of kind of good stuff in your blood and this study it, it, you know I think recommended doing it four times a day so 
coincidentally, this this was a Sunday, I remember, because I was meant to go back to work the next day. This was a Sunday. And I actually had some uh, lancets, like diabetic lancets, already in the house. The reason I had them is because, like I said, I have to do blood tests every few months for my testosterone replacement therapy. And all I do is I, I prick my finger and I put it in a test tube and it gets sent away. So I actually had some lancets. So I'm like, right, I'm just going to do this. So I washed my hands, pricked my finger, put the blood uh, on my kind of eyelids, lay back down, shut my eyes. And within, honestly, within 10 minutes, if that might have even been sooner, most of the burning had disappeared. And I'm like, right, this is crazy. That's that's like a miracle. And I'd, I ended up doing it maybe about eight times that day. I think I'd actually run ran out of lancets and I ended up buying more um, online that night. And it's, you know, apart from like maybe IPL and probing, it's probably the biggest thing I've done. In terms, like I said, it was a game changer for my comfort levels and it's improved me massively. I initially did it up to kind of 10 to 12 times per day, which is quite a lot, obviously. But that's how desperate I was to do it. Yeah. Now, presently, I only do it maybe four times a day. And you're right, there isn't there isn't a lot of studies out there. But there, there, are, there are a lot of studies on autologous serum itself, blood serum itself. And fundamentally, serum comes from whole blood. So yeah. it does make sense logically that maybe putting just blood in your eye um, is kind of weird as it sounds. Like my friends are used to, used to it now. Like I go on holiday, I take lancets with me and yeah. I'll be in my pocket and I'll do it just at, at the table or something like that. After I always make sure I take like antiseptic hand wash with me. Yeah. And people just get used to it. It's not considered, it's not a strange thing for me anymore to do. Mm-hmm. How long had you been doing it? Did you say? I did it for about two months. How often do you, yeah. Oh, I was. Right. It hurt my finger. So I was doing it like twice a day. I would do it right before bed and right in the morning. But like you said, it was a complete game changer. I mean, I was to the point where like I was calling my mother-in-law and saying, how can I get like, how can I, can you, because she was a phlebotomist. I'm like, how can you get the supplies? Can I order the supplies so you can draw my blood? And then I'm going to buy a centrifuge and and I was like, this is crazy. And then thank goodness I found that. Um, but complete game changer. And what was frustrating for me was I have French bulldogs and they're prone to corneal ulcers. So I had been through with both of them getting the autologous serum and helping to heal their eyes and multiple times. So I knew how powerful it was. And the doctors that I talked to where I said, Come, can I just have that? And they would say, your eyes are not that bad. And so I knew that that would help me. I just couldn't get it. Like, I, I couldn't get the stuff. So, it, right, the whole blood was amazing. It was totally amazing. And like you said, it it so immediately makes a difference, which is, it's just shocking. Yeah. I'm surprised you. Stro- I thought I was under the impression that it was relatively easy if you had the money, basically, to get autologous serum, like blood serum, in the states. I didn't realise it was difficult. Like it's really difficult in the UK. Like I had a doctor tell me um, it was a really. Di- I, I don't want to go into too much detail because actually it was actually quite a traumatic experience. To be honest, that I saw a doctor on the NHS, and I I love the NHS. It's one of the best things about the UK. And I have a lot of friends and family in the NHS, so I respect it massively as a, a kind of institution. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like our condition, dry eye disease, like you said at the beginning of the podcast, it's it's downplayed so much. It's just like, oh, it's just dry eye, just put some drops in. It's not really treated seriously. And that includes, unfortunately, on the NHS. So I've had a real battle, a real struggle to get treatment and in particular to get autologous serum prescribed. Mm-hmm. And I had this one ophthalmologist say to me he just totally gaslighted me he was like that's not a thing you can't you can't get that for dry eye and I'm like and I, I had to say look with all due respect I know you're the doctor I'm sorry that is just it's not true that's mm-hmm. not true like I know dozens maybe hundreds of people that use autologous serum for the for dry eye yeah and 
he kind of backed down a little bit, but, but I could tell he wasn't happy with me. You know, this guy had quite an ego on him. He, he was not happy with me saying that. Right. Um, so a similar experience to you, it was like, okay, I can't get this stuff. Um, I remember actually saying to him, like exactly what you said, I, I'm so desperate. You know, I said to him, I'm so desperate. I'm thinking about buying a centrifuge and doing it myself. And I said that to just emphasize how desperate I was to like, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it was true. I generally did look into it. And what he did in response was to, he just mocked me. He was like, oh, I bet, I bet you would make lots of money doing that. Oh my gosh. And I'm quite, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm 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 relatively confident. Kind of interacting with people. Normally, I'm quite good with confrontation, but this was a really low moment for me, and I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to this doctor. And his response to me saying, "I'm so desperate here that I'm going to, I was going to take a phlebology course. I was going to pay to do a phlebology course to take my own blood. Yeah, buy a This is how desperate I was. And right. his response, his response was to make some bizarre." joke i couldn't believe it and I, I actually didn't really say anything i was like in shock i didn't know what to say i was mm -hmm. like I, I, I just moved on and oh. it's only it was only afterwards i reflected on it and i mm -hmm. went i went that was just awful what you did there that, that's really nasty to say that to someone oh. um wow it, and yeah it's so i, I thought it's really really interesting you've went through like a similar experience even when I thought it was kind of easier to get it done in the States, I didn't realise it was still, still quite difficult to get it. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a really good option if you, like like us two, you just cannot get autologous serum. It is a little bit of a nuisance to do it. To be honest, I'm so used to it now. My yeah. fingers are quite kind of, yeah, calloused. And yeah. I don't, I don't really care because it's <laughs> helping me massively. Um, yeah, we're not... We're not doctors, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say at the beginning in my intro, like this is just our thoughts here. We are definitely not doctors. Like we're not telling you what to do, but we're trying to put out information of what helped us because it could potentially help mm -hmm. you. But like I say before, always speak to your provider, your eye doctor, whoever go through the right um, avenues to make sure that you're doing what you you need to because there potentially could be some risks associated with this. Or, I mean, there are some risks, you know, infection, um, probably, you know, talk to your doctor if you're on blood thinners. Like, again, I'm not a doctor. Um, neither is Ross. Yeah. So do do what you need to for yourself, but but definitely check with who you need to. I mentioned to my ophthalmologist that I'd started doing it, like doing the, the fab, like the finger prick. And he, he said, uh, yeah, I wasn't allowed to mention that to you. Like we're aware of it as a thing, but we, we don't tell patients about it. Ah. And it's exactly kind of what you said there about like, we don't, we, it's not really, there's not a lot of evidence for this thing. It's kind of new. It's only been the last few years that people have started been doing it. So we don't really want to advocate for it. But we've heard separately from other people that's really helpful. And it's like, right, okay. I mean, I wish you had told me. But exactly. I I and the, and the um, thing about it is, is like, you know, if you go down to like the reason why, right? Why are they not telling you about this? Because they're not going to make any money off of it, right? Like... Like some of those things like go through your head, like they're really pushing the things that are going to make the money. But this thing is so simple, it's so affordable and can make so much difference. Oh, that that's so sad that they that they said that to yeah. you. I mean, that's so like, oh, the, wow. The I, 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 I think that particular ophthalmologist, he, he's he's a really good man, actually. He really helped me. I, I, I think it was more from a, oh, we don't want to tell you this and there's an infection or something like yeah. that. And then yeah. you come back to us and say it's your fault. But I, I definitely agree with you from the point of view of like the wider dry eye kind of specialists. And they don't tell you, you're right, there's a lot of money in dry eye, like billions, literally billions of dollars <laughs> a year in this condition. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some some of the costs out there are just obscene, absolutely obscene. Yeah, um, for sure. And this is free. 
So like it's your it's your own blood. You, there's no special. Don't need to store it. Like you're storing it yourself mm-hmm. as you walk around. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so, anyone anywhere anyone out there, do you again do your own research. But if if you think it could help you, give it a go. I, I could not go without it. Honestly, it's yeah, it's been incredible for me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Do you have anything else that you want to add that you feel like we missed or is super important that you want to say? One other thing is that there's only, again, there's only been a couple of studies and this is also very cheap. I don't really think there'll be any future studies, or at least not big studies about this. But I've for six, seven months or so, maybe a bit longer, I've been taking high dose vitamin B1 and vitamin B12. Um, and that's helped massively. These These studies... Um, have some evidence that it can reduce like photophobia, it can reduce burning, mm. uh, stinging in your eyes, and it can just in general help your dry eye symptoms. The kind of theory or the hypothesis is it helps your cornea to kind of grow nerves properly, because oh. that, that's a big issue, particularly if you have something like LASIK or yeah. even like a, like a chemical injury like yourself, like it physically destroys the nerves yeah. on your cornea. So vitamin V1, vitamin B12, there's some evidence that it can help regrow your nerves. And mm. I think that's also something that's really helped helped me. And I get it's really cheap. Like you can buy water-soluble vitamin B1, vitamin B12 on online for very, very cheap. Um, and again, I don't really see these major players in the dry eye kind of world advocating for it. Because you can't make any money from from water soluble vitamins, cheap vitamins that you can get out of a supermarket. Yeah, so, that's really really interesting. I'll send you the studies I'm talking about. Um, they're quite long, but they they are quite kind of small in terms of like uh, the number of cohorts, the number of of, of kind of um, people in the study. Mm-hmm. But when you're again when you're desperate, when you have sev- a severe condition like this, some of these things are worth trying. Um, oh, what I would say is take take it for a, mi- a minimum of three months. It, it just takes a long time for for it to work. Then it, mm. it did in my case. It was like three four months before I started to feel like it, it was beneficial. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a placebo effect, or it was other things I'm doing. I don't know. But I see it as like a low risk, high reward. You know, um, kind of solution. Definitely. Yeah. Oh. All right. So Ross, we're going to wrap this up. So with the last question here, how has your life improved as a result of dry eye? Uh, it's a tricky question, that. Very tricky. Um, I think it's just it's shown how resilient I can be. Like, like I said to you during this conversation, I had a very, very low moment um, not that long ago, about a year ago. And I just didn't see myself getting out of it, but I did. Like something I want to make clear to most to most people with dry eye disease, they do get better in time as long as you try and deal with the root cause. Don't just use drops. Actually, try to deal with the root cause somehow and find the right practitioner that knows what they're doing. Um. So yeah, resiliency and, and just putting one step in front of the other and take one day at a time, you, you can have a life again, even mm-hmm. with a, a chronic disease like this, a chronic condition like this. So that that's a kind of silver lining, I would say, out of all this. Absolutely. Well, Ross, I greatly appreciate talking to you. And I, when you said you were from Scotland, I was so excited. Like, who knew that this, <laughs> that this endeavor would just reach so far and I'm so thankful. No, I, I need to thank you. I think this is a terrific operation you're, you're, you're doing. Like, you know, it's the first time I've, I've, I've heard of a, a podcast that's actually speaking with the sufferers and going into detail and speaking individually about their journey. And it's, yeah, I think it's a really good thing you're doing here. And I really appreciate it as well, and I hope it hope you continue um, with this for as long as as long as you can. Absolutely, I know I have um, I have some really 
I, you know, I have some other guests that are coming and um, I'm also talking to some other health professionals too that um, are going to give some really good nuggets for, you know, your whole body, but your eyes yourself. Because like you said, you know, you got to get to the root cause and sometimes it's not just addressing the eyes. It's, it's something else going on. And so really healing your body all over can make a huge difference for your eyes. So yeah, so that's the plan is to keep trucking along. So thank you though. No problem. Thank you. Thanks again. <laughs>